I love you. And so any other decision should be based on that foundation. And sometimes it's hard to understand. I remember when our children were little and we had to take them to the doctor for the shot. Vaccinations. Jeannie and I would fight about which one would have to take them. Neither one of us wanted to take them because they didn't understand. Why is this person jabbing a sharp needle into me? They, they didn't get that, but because we love you, you have to go through this. I remember holding Taylor down on an x-ray table so they could get a shot of his shoulder. And he's like, why are you doing this to me? Well, I love you and this has to happen. I remember making him go to school for the first day. That's hard. Or disciplining them. We made them do things they didn't understand. But they had to know that we love them. No matter what they had to go through, we love them. It would help us understand life a little bit better because we go through stuff, sometimes it's just not understandable. It's difficult. It's hard. But we have to know and we have to never forget that God loves us. And when we remember that, we will do well even when we do not understand. Today we're going to talk about the most important thing that we as God's children must know. That God loves us. No matter who you are, or where you've been, what you've done, God is crazy about you. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to get it, to understand that you love each of us equally. That there's none in this room better than others. There's none in this room that you care more for. You love us all so much that you sent Christ to die for each of us. And for all the world. Help us to get it. And help us to help others get it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 John 4.19 You know these words. We love Him because He first loved us. That's where it all begins. We're not going to love God unless we know He loves us. If we don't know He loves us, we're going to be mad. We're going to be upset. We're going to be distant. We're going to withdraw. Tell your neighbor that God loves you. Y'all need to speak across the aisle since you don't have a neighbor. So you might have to look down the pew and tell a neighbor that God loves you. God loves you. Alright, thank you very much. If we're not convinced of that truth, that God loves us, we won't love Him back. Remember the old game in junior high? I don't know if they play this anymore. Probably not. They're more sophisticated than we were then. When you would send an emissary to somebody else. A boy would send a friend to another girl, or a girl would send a friend to another boy. And they always had the most brilliant of lines. I hear that he might like you. Remember what was next? If you like him. You always had an out. If you don't like him, he never liked you in the first place. <laughs> If you don't like him, well, back when we were kids, then you just have cooties. Remember cooties? It was an epidemic back in the 70s and 60s. Cooties, but I digress. God loves us cooties and all. He loves us cooties and all. Flaws and all. And we need to be just like that. We need to love others' flaws and all. 
In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells a story about a prostitute and his church. He said, a prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to care for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me they were in his office. She told me such horrible things I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked her if she ever thought of going to church for help. And I'll never forget the look of pure, naive shock across her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever want to go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make it feel worse. There are churches like that. And there are people like that. But those people, like the prostitute, like, and others like her, ran toward Jesus when he walked on the earth, didn't they? People of just the worst situations ran at Jesus, not away. And now they run from churches. So what happened? Why has this happened? I think largely it has happened because we forget to always let the world know, no matter how messed up they are, that God loves them. And I need to love them too. Look at John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. A very familiar story. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he talked. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said, Stoner, what do you say? John says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. People have guessed for years what he's writing in the dust. We don't know. Some thinks he's writing the names of the people in the crowd holding the rocks. Others think he's writing their sins and what they have done. Whatever he wrote, after who among you are the one who has never sinned, throw the first one. Verse 9 says, when the accused heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I've always loved that story. Because like me, that woman had messed up her life. Mistake after mistake. And Jesus gave her an amazing gift that nobody up to that point was willing to give. And that's unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. And that's hard when it's unconditional. 
I forgive you, he said. I don't condemn you, he said. I love you, he said. Do better, go. He said no more. But before she would change, before she would be obedient, before she loved God, she had to know that she was loved. And I would venture to say that was the first encounter when she ever got it. Oh, God loves me. Face to face, he loved her. But before she would change, she had to know. She had to know that she was loved. Back to 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. Sadly, the men in the story had forgotten all about the love of God if they ever knew about it in the first place. So whose sins were worse? The woman's are the men's with the rocks in their hand. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, the sins of the flesh are bad, but they're the least bad of all sins. All of the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting. The pleasures of power and of hatred. For there are two things inside me competing with the human self, which I must try to become. They're the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. This is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, he says, it's better to be neither. And he's right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees have no love. But you've seen it and you've experienced because you're still here. You've been loved. Commenting about this, John Ortberg says, What is so hideous, insidious about the sins of the Spirit is that the carriers don't have a clue. At least with sins of the flesh, you find out you've messed up. With sins of the Spirit, you may not even know. You just walk through life with a stone in your hand. And we have to be careful. Judgmental thoughts and superior attitudes and impatient words and unkind words that leave little room for love. In the story of the woman called in adultery, Jesus isn't condoning sin, he's condoning love. And that's our job, to condone love. Over the years, I've run into several who had no clue that God loved them. Uh, in fact, I thought he was out to get them. Chuck was a piece of work. He hated most everybody, especially himself. He was driving drunk, and he missed a curve. Thank God he didn't hit anyone, but he hit a used car lot and messed that up. And then he could never walk again after that. So partially paralyzed because of drinking and driving, he had no room for God. He was mad at God and his wife was a Christian. And they didn't know what to do with each other. And I visited fairly often. And I sounded like a broken record with Chuck. Chuck, God loves you. God forgives you. He wants you to love Him. And he changed the subject. And I'd go back. Chuck, God loves you. God forgives you. He wants you to love Him. He'd kick me out. And I would go back. We would have the conversation. It took a while that Chuck became a believer. But he really needed to know that God loved him. 
even after the mess that he had made up of his life. But it all began, he began to love God after he realized God does love me. Chrissy, her life was messed up. We met in an emergency room and she didn't have a good use for church at all. Most of her life, the only encounter she had with the spiritual world were people telling her she was going to hell. Well, while that might have been true, shouldn't they have at least told her that God loved her? She didn't have to go. When I baptized her, she said, this is the greatest day of my life. And it was. Because she knew that she was loved and her sins were washed away. We love him because he first loved us. I've told you the story before about going to visit Helen Doherty in a nursing home. I had been her pastor for years and her memory had started failing and when I went to see her this one night she didn't know who I was. She didn't know who she was. But I visited and we talked. When I was leaving she said I was at the door grabbing the knob and I'll never forget she said I love you. And I thought how beautiful a picture that was. I don't know who you are, but I love you. And I built a sermon around that called Good Prejudice. I don't know who you are, but I love you. And I think that's a beautiful way to live. But I thought of one even more amazing. And it hit me this week, thinking about love. The more amazing thought is, I do know you. And I love you anyway. Isn't that the truth? When there's a track record and we know how they are or they know how we are and they love us anyway, that is wonderful. That's the kind of love God has for us. Earlier I asked you to tell your neighbor that God loved them. That's your job every day. There are people everywhere that need to know that. Let's go tell them. Let's pray together.